Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the studio today is Victoria Hansen, and actually I'm going to hand the mic over to her because this is part of the Walter Edgar's Journal in its 21st year celebration, and uh, Victoria is going to turn the tables on Alfred Turner and me, and we'll be talking about the history of the journal and I wondered how this would work. I am Victoria Hansen. I'm with South Carolina Public Radio. And I thought, you know, it would be really strange if we started this out by me saying, I'm not Walter Edgar. Uh, no, you're not. You're a lot prettier than Walter Edgar. <laughs> well, thank you. Your voice is a lot better than mine. You've been doing radio a lot longer. I'm still kind of a, a newbie at this. But first of all, congratulations to both you and Alfred on this 21st anniversary. That, that That's something. Well, Alfred has not been here for the whole 21 years. He's been producer since 2006, had a couple of producers prior to that. Catherine Reynolds, who is still in media uh, in the Southeast, was the first producer. She was a young graduate student. Uh, then Tiffany Jackson, Ashley Bird, who was a former student of mine who liked nothing better than telling me to speak up, slow down. <laughs> uh, Alfred still does that. Um, and then Jane Hess, who is still in media, but she moved to Florida. And Alfred came on board in 2006, and so he's been the producer, director, editor. Makes us all sound good for 15 years. It's in my job description. And we appreciate it, especially <laughs> on my behalf today. I need all the help I can get. I'm just curious, you guys, how did this come about? How did this begin? Victoria, this it was it was kind of accidental. Back in 2000, when they were taking the Confederate flag down off the state house, public radio asked me to excuse me, S C E R N radio. Isn't that way we were then? South Carolina Educational Radio Network. Yes, the South Carolina Educational Radio Network asked me to do uh, call out historical comments. Uh, not quite the play-by-play. -play. Tom Fowler, who then was the head of radio, was doing the play-by-play, -play, but I would do commentary, and we would talk about what was going on first of the, on the floor of the Senate and then on the House. Well, the reaction to that show was very positive because it was about three or four hours we were on the air, and he called me, Tom Fowler did, and said, Walter, we're thinking about doing a show on Friday afternoons. We'll do it live, and you and I will... We'll do just what we did when we talked about the Confederate flag. We'll bring in guests and we'll talk about an issue and what have you. And we'll let some folks call. We'll have it as a call-in show. And that's what it, it started in uh, uh, November 2001. Nope, 2000. Uh, sorry, in November 2000. And for those who don't know, what I just did is what I often do at behind the scenes they don't get to hear it because I talk to Walter in his headset. And, of course, I edit all those pauses out. And I'll say, Walter, can you say that again? Or I don't think that's the right date. This is what a producer does, <laughs> among other things. You keep us straight. Try to. Because here's the thing. I know as a journalist, I cover a lot of different stories. And so you're kind of a... Um a jack of all trades, at least for me, a master of none, so I can get dates and things confused, but I have the general ideas. And, and I know with that particular event that you're talking about, that was very controversial. There was a lot to talk about that day. Well, it, there was a lot to talk about it. And the Senate passed the measure relatively easy. Uh, in the House, it was very, very contentious, but it happened. And I think from what Tom said, the reaction w was, we showed history is important. It's a part of, you know, what we're doing because there's a lot of discussion about heritage and all of that that comes into it. And so the journal, as it evolved, and initially, by the way, we didn't have a name. Oh, really? <laughs> no, we, we, didn't have an, we didn't have a name. Um, we were just on the air with Fowler and Edgar. Uh, I'm not sure how they advertised it. But it it seems to me, and Alfred, I, I think you might correct me on this, the network actually ran a sort of name the show. As a matter of fact, I went into our library. Some people say, well, I remember the, the interview he did with, say, Judge Matthew Perry. And that was back in 2010 or some such. Do you still have that show? The answer is we don't have all the shows because the initial shows were live. 
and they were not recorded for the first six months or so. But the earliest show we do have was recorded in uh, 2001. It was January, and you were still doing the live on the air format, and I that did get recorded. So I'm going to play that. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Tom Fowler with Dr. Walter Edgar, and we're glad you're with us. No name for the show yet, but we're working on that, tallying it from the website. Uh, go to www.scern.org. That's right, and uh, we're going to go through the end of January letting people vote. And do check the name site. There's some very interesting ones, and uh, we're pretty much going to go by a listener response to this. Democracy. Democracy. But is it uh, vote early and often? <laughs> yeah, yes, this is the good old South Carolina tradition. You may vote as many times as you like, but no dimple chads will be counted. Thank you, sir. Okay, no so that was the beginning of the, the 12th of January, 2001. Tom Fowler and Walter Edgar on the air, the show with no name. We need to come up with different lyrics for the old song, The Horse With No Name, and we, we could sing it. The show with no name, and it eventually became Walter Edgar's journal. So how about that? Well, and Alfred, you might—those those shows were actually taped on a reel-to-reel that was about two feet in diameter. <laughs> and when you edited it, it, you literally had to splice tape. Yeah. Um, Although which, I think this one and a lot of the ones very, very early really were just taped off the air. So whatever happened, I haven't listened to this whole show, but whatever happened that day happened. And when we went to recording it ahead of time, yes, we were we were cutting the tape physically. And it was a 10 and a half inch reel of tape, tapes quarter inch wide, and it was eight, uh, 1,200 feet of it. See, that doesn't sound so strange to me because I actually learned how to cut tape. You did. You I did. Me. Yeah, I did. Old school. Yeah. Old school. So, Walter, when you hear that clip, where does it take you? Well, first of all, we didn't have a name. We had that kind of strange introductory music. Uh, one of the things Alfred did when he became the producer, director, editor for the show is he came up with some music, which was the, the kind of with the drum, the kind of martial air, I would call it, that was the, probably for almost a decade. said, ah, it's time for a change, and so he selected something else. But people identified the sound of the fife and drum with the show. They they knew the drum sure. was coming. Um, and that early show, we had call-ins, Victoria. See, and I think this is dangerous, but I'm, I'm going to let you explain. Well, a live show is also difficult uh, because... Getting a guest to be on the air, let's just say we wanted to have a South Carolina figure, it might be a governor or what have you, they're very skittish because it's broadcast, there's no beeping, and one of the reasons the show moved from 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock Friday afternoon. Was it 2 or 3? Uh, I think it was 3. Friday okay. afternoon. Who wants to come on on Friday afternoon and talk about anything? Victoria, that that, that was it. The, you know, mid-afternoon on a Friday, I, I mean, I, I left the studio and went to the beach. <laughs> you know, it's time. Uh, so that and the uncertainty of a live show cut down the people who were willing to be on the air. And then the noon spot came open, uh, noon on Friday, and we also went to pre-recording. Yes, there were changes in the first year, and the show gradually adopted a format. And in talking it over with, with Tom, uh, he eventually dropped from the show, and it just became Walter Edgar's 
journal. And it wasn't always about history. Dottie Frank was one of my early non-historical uh, guests. Dorothea Benton Frank. Yes. Author. Yes. Let's see. I'm saying Dottie Frank because that's how I know it, but just— uh, Yeah, for historical context, for people who are listening who may not know. Right. They may, they, they, they may not know. Um, and normally I would say, Walter, could you go ahead and give her full name? And people back home on the radio or on a podcast would never know that. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. You're so, the silent partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not on the air, but uh, through the earphones. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you mentioned we had, gosh, I look back on the guest list and you did have, particularly when Jane Hess was a producer, you, you did do things that were connected with uh, news because she was a news person. Yeah. And I, I noticed that you had like you had the Speaker of, of the House people from the General Assembly. You had leaders from the General Assembly after their terms as governors, after they had been retired for a number of years, you had governors along the line. Who were some of the governors we had? We had... um, We had had Dick Riley. We had David Beasley. We had John West. John West, Jim Edwards. And we we also did a series with, with former First Ladies. Right. And... I don't want to say politics, but I mean, that, yes, Jane was interested in public figures, not so much in authors. Right. But you didn't have to be an author to get on the show. Today, people say, well, oh, oh, you do all the books. Well, sometimes the book is the hook to get the author on the show, and we'll talk not so much about the book, but about a lot of other things. And early on, we started getting, once people realized that, particularly presses, we began to get lots of, of fan mail <laughs> through books. Don't you think this would be a great book? Uh, mm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. This is one of those things. I might get a phone call even now. This is Susan Smith. My great aunt has just written the most wonderful account of Choose Your Topic. And what I will say is, well, Susan, who who is calling me as a friend of my wife's, and I'll say, yes, have the publisher send us the book. We'll give it a look. But I know I want you to know there's no guarantee that we're going to ask that person to be on the show. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to be rude. And it's been amazing. Sometimes I'll tell Alfred, we're going to get that and we get it. And wow, it is a diamond in the rough, so to speak. And so... Um, so sometimes the things you anticipate to be spectacular may be so-so. The things that you have absolutely, I should say no interest, but you're, you're kind of eh, lukewarm about, they blow your mind. Yes, yes. And this goes back to the time when Ashley Bird was the producer-director. And this was going to be a great speaker. She had lined him up. I went to sleep. <laughs> Which you can do on radio and no one knows except the person you're in the room with. I went to sleep and she was on the other. It was a table and she was on one side and the guest and I were on the other. And she was trying. She she couldn't kick me because there was a a partition. She finally made someone. The the guy never realized it. He just kept. He just. He just kept on. The show. The show never aired. But that's the only time that. That, that that has happened. There have been some shows that I kept thinking, oh, please, we've got to get at least 55 minutes out yeah. of this. But, you know, Alfred, I think we've, we've done pretty well over the years in guests because one of the things that has been really, I think, so positive and has made this fun for me is Somebody doesn't come down from the top and say, you've got to interview X, Y, and Z. You've got to discuss this. We do, for example, though, when ETV is going to, or PBS is going to mm-hmm. have a special, if we have a show, something that we could bring on that would tie in, we do it. It's, well, that, that just speaks to the, what you're doing. You're doing well. Because if you're not doing it well, you'll hear from the people from the top, <laughs> right? Yes. If you're doing something... Well, and they're pleased with you. It's typically crickets, which is good. Mm. We had, uh, we have had some wonderful guests t- coming in 
to tie into some of the PBS specials like Bill Malone when Ken Burns did his country music special a couple of years back. Bill Malone wrote the book, literally the book on country music. And he was featured a lot on that special. And he came on the air and he talked. Uh, He's a folksy kind of guy. But he's so accurate, so pinpoint in all of his knowledge. And we were able to pull selections uh, from the various artists. And uh, at least for the on-air stuff, we didn't have the rights to use it on the podcast. But when it was on the air, we had examples of the music. Um, I was curious, going back to some of the public figures that you interviewed, and this, this was post their time in office, you say? Yes, were they a little more willing to be open about things that had happened during their time in office, were, or were they still kind of, you know, a little, little nervous about it? I think they were fairly honest. They talked about things sometimes that they wish they had done and some things that might have been left undone. But I think one of the things that I've, I try, have tried to do is, even when dealing with a, a controversial topic, is this isn't a show where I play gotcha I'm not, I don't play gotcha journalism. Right. I have a conversation with, with friends, and that's what I try to tell folks. It's, this isn't an interview. Let's come have a conversation and chat. And, and that's how it really evolved. Maybe it was more interview to begin with. And I can remember Tom Fowler and I used to bring notes and all of that. But I really don't—I mean, I prepare. It's just like you're teaching a class about four to five hours of prep time for the show. Right. Uh, and if maybe not just reading your one book, but I'm going to read something else you've written. Thanks to the Internet, I'm going to do checking up on some other things just so that I can carry on the conversation. It was interesting, Walter, that you mentioned that because one of my questions for you is how do you prepare for an interview? Because you're, it doesn't sound like an interview. It sounds like a conversation, which I think any good interview should sound like. I mean, Maybe you have a pile of notes, but no. then you go off. You go off what the person says. Yeah, I, I, that's that's why I, not just I, but Alfred, pre-COVID, we pretty much ins- always insisted on an in-person interview because it's not just the voice. You read somebody's face, mm-hmm. you know. So I need to interrupt here, and again, this is something I do twice an hour. Walter, we need to let our folks know who we're talking to. Let's do an ID. Okay. This is Walter Edgar's journal, and in the studio today are Victoria Hansen and producer Alfred Turner, and we're talking about the evolution of Walter Edgar's journal as part of our celebration of the journal at 21. So, Walter, can you tell me about any other memorable guests that you've had on, perhaps not authors per se or public figures, somebody we haven't talked about? Oh, well, what about the Lee brothers and their cooking, uh, John T. Edge, Natalie Dupree? We, we've had folks to talk about cooking. The late Charles Joyner from Coastal Carolina, whose specialty was the Waccamaw and African-American culture. One of the earlier guests we had on, and we had him on over, over time. Our, our friend from up at Clemson, Vernon Burton. Bob, uh, Bobby Donaldson has been yeah, a wonderful resource. Yeah, Professor Bobby Donaldson at, at the university and Bernie Powers, both to talk about the African-American community. Brent Morris, who's a young scholar at USC Beaufort, whose specialty is Reconstruction South Carolina. Ron and Natalie Dades from Gola Gola Island. Anita Singleton Prather. Aunt Pearly Sue, that was her stage name. That was how we did the show. I'd enter, I had the conversation with Aunt Pearly Sue. See, there's just been so many. Yeah, Mary Alice Monroe, another one of our South Carolina writers. Doris Sanders. Yeah. Doris Sanders. Josephine Humphreys. In terms of writers, our, the Palmetto State's got, we're, we have a very rich buffet from which we can can choose. And Homer Steadley, who was a Vietnam veteran, and on one of his first assignments as a young lieutenant, he'd killed a North Vietnamese, and North Vietnamese had had a diary, which Homer kept. And anyway, he was able to track down the parents of this young North Vietnamese that he had killed, and he traveled to Vietnam to return the diary. 
and he was part of a number of Americans who, who were taking trips back to Vietnam. And because he returned, that, pati- that personal memorabilia gave the family something tactile mm-hmm. to, to have. You know, we had Mayor of Tecklenburg actually here talking about jazz, and he played the piano. It's fun. People say, you act like you're having fun. Yes, I'm having fun. Uh, it's also another po- It's a postgraduate education I've been doing for 21 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, anyway. I'm really interested to hear about the shows that you would take on the road. Because when you have an audience or you're in a different location— that ambience brings something to the conversation, I would imagine. Can you remember those kind of conversations and shows where the atmosphere really made a difference? Well, yes. Back when Jane Hess was the producer uh, in 2000, probably 2004 to 2006, we did a number of road shows. Some of them were with a live audience, but some of them were just in a, in a different setting. Gosh, I remember the one at Myrtle Beach. We did a recording on the front porch of an old mom-and-pop motel. Uh, And there were some guests at the hotel just sitting at the other end of the porch listening. One of the first interviews did with uh, Mayor Joe Riley of Charleston was was done in Charleston, actually on the street, talking about what was going on in downtown Charleston. Alfred, I think at least on two or three occasions— as part of our work with the ETV endowment, we have done a show with, say, a small audience. In fact, in this studio where we are right now, Victoria, we've recorded a show before an audience of about 15 or 20. I don't think we ever did larger than that, did we, Alfred? Not, not for those. But as you said, there were a couple of occasions where we went, for instance, we had a grant to do upstate coverage. And for about five or six shows, we went upstate to where people were. We interviewed uh, Mayor Knox White in his office. We, we went on site to Triune Ministries. Triune, yes. And interviewed Pastor Deb there. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that. And then we would go and do something with ETV. There, they did a series of things where you traveled around the state. So they went to different parts of the state. And we actually did a live on television and radio simulcast. That was an interesting thing because we usually had more than one guest. So we would have two or three segments and it would have to be coordinated with the people doing the camera work and the television director who was calling shots. And I'd be sitting in the trailer letting Walter know, all right, we need to move on to the next segment. But it would also be on television. So they would have to cover the person getting out of the chair and the next person getting into the chair with perhaps a shot of the crowd or something like that. Wait, 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 wait. Television and radio are such separate animals. How did you make that happen? Well, we had some very good directors who were able to say, oh, well, since we're talking about this guy's pottery here in Edgefield, while we're swapping out, we'll get some shots of the pottery over here that he brought, things like that. And I always gave them an outline of who we were going to have and what we were going to talk about. And, of course, they had, being good television people, they had a stage director standing by going, all right, and when I when I tell you to, you guys swap out. It, it, so the television worked from that end that way. I treated it like uh, you guys know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. I'll give you the outline of the show. You tell me what you need from me. And uh, we went to Camden. Let's yep. see. We went to Spartanburg. Mm-hmm. We went to Edgefield. Those are the only ones I remember doing. Well, when we did Beaufort. Right. And Myrtle Beach, Jane Hess was still yeah. the producer then. It was pretty amazing because we had the big truck and all the television people and whatever they needed for lighting. And uh, the one in Camden was really great because we actually had someone there who was doing food. They were cooking uh, for their segment outside. Jack Brantley. Yes. Yeah. Did you find the television, though, might inhibit somebody that you're interviewing? You know, it, you know, those cameras can be a bit intimidating. I find when the cameras aren't around and it's just a recording device and you and somebody else, there tends to be this, they forget about this little microphone in front of us. Well, 
I think it was a bit more like a series of interviews than the kind of conversational stuff that we yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, it was it was done in segments uh, for the Camden when we did that with Jack Brantley, and then when he did did an interview with Reed Buckley and uh, the folks at Historic Camden. So they were they were like, it was not. I don't think those were live TV anymore. But they were at the time. They, they were at the time. Yeah. Okay. They right. just didn't tell you, Walter. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey. hey. Uh, having, having worked with both, Victoria, I'll take radio anytime. Um, it's pretty spectacular. Well, you know, I love the folks in, in TV, but I really like the radio, and I think guests feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think maybe because over the years, the word is out, you know, first of all, nobody's going to pin you to the wall. That's not what we're about. We're going to have a conversation. And Alfred gives his prep talk. Uh, Alfred, you want to give the prep talk? To, that? Uh, sure. I tell people at the very beginning of the session, I say, now we're going to start recording. Walter is going to introduce the program and we will record for an hour or as long as it's fun, whichever comes first. And what about if they have an Oh, gosh, moment. If you need to stop and say, oh, I didn't mean to say that, that information is embargoed, for instance. Mm-hmm. Just stop, say it on the tape so I can get that, and then back up to the beginning of where you were and start all over again. Well, in, in the days of tape, that was, was not as easy to do as it is now because now it's all computerized. Yes. Well, a piece of advice from somebody who worked in television for way too long If you have a producer in your ear and they're giving you information and annoying you, you know what you do? She just took her headphones off. Those headphones come right off. And you just keep talking. Victoria. And they can't get you. Hello, Victoria. They don't like that. Victoria. Victoria. Oh, there she is. Now I'm back. Any other really weird snafus or moments where you caught yourself? You know, I think anytime, whether you're live or, or taped as live, there are those things that happen, those things that come up. Where you just have to, there's that moment of panic, like, how do I, how, how do I handle this? Mm-hmm. And then you glide through. Can you think of any of those? Oh, uh, one of the most emotional shows I ever recorded. Uh, and Alfred, I think you said we have in the library 700 shows. I yeah, know. yeah, something so, like that, 700 at, plus. At least original shows was in this studio, I had Pat Conroy and his siblings together as a group interview talking about Pat and the novel, The Great Santini, which, which featured all of them. The emotion was, was in this room was palpable um, because they were having to talk about very, very painful things. Growing up in the, in the Conroy household was not was not easy. Not that anybody was angry, but obviously that that conversation going back to the great Santini years in Beaufort, for some of them it was a was a painful trip down memory lane. And once once or twice, one or all of them would be close to tears. It was one of those things, thanks because of radio how we could work. I could just go silent for a moment. And kind of let everybody collect, you know, get catch their breath or say one of them talking to them. I didn't realize that, was, you know, they found out things sometimes for the first time that afternoon. Yeah, they're, they're things. I wasn't prepared for that. I mean, I knew all of the people involved. We had actually done something at the Township Auditorium the night before uh, with Pat and afterwards a social occasion with all the family there. But then getting them in the room and everybody kind of just opening up, I had to feel my way through that. So, yeah, you know, that's there, there are things that there's no way I could have been prepared for that. But it's one of those shows that uh, when Alfred asked me to come up with a list of, you know, 21 shows that you like, that was near the top of the list. At the top of the list would have been my interview with the late... Uh, T. Moffat Burris, who was a hero in World War II, he had written a book, Strike and Hold, and in there he talks about opening up one of the first 
German horror camps. And he had an inter- a young interpreter who was Jewish and from Germany and had been had come to the States, but he was on his staff. And going into that death camp, they found that this young sergeant's parents had been murdered 48 hours earlier, you know, and as the Germans were, quote, cleaning up the, the situation. And he talks about holding that young man in his arms as he wept. And he said, I wept as well. That's one of those things you'll just never forget. Also, Joe, I would imagine as someone who is having the conversation, the interview, so to speak, you have to know when to be quiet, to stay quiet, to not interrupt. You know, there's always that when someone gets tearful or someone gets upset, there's that human element of you want to help them and say, I'm sorry, but also to that moment of when to just be quiet and let them have that moment. Well, I just let him have the moment. Uh, And that's why, when I said earlier, I prefer to have guests in the studio. Uh, It's it's a better conversation for everybody. COVID has turned the world upside down. In fact, March 2020, we basically closed down until after Labor Day. So everything was, uh, uh, we call it an encore, not a rerun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> an encore. And after Labor Day, they said we could start bringing some people into the studio again, but at a distance. And then, of course, we had the September surge. We shut down again and didn't begin recording new shows until January 2021. We missed the 20th anniversary celebration of Walter Edgar's journal. <laughs> we took a year off. We took a year, we took a year off. Uh, but, hey— Alfred came to the rescue and actually said, well, what about the journal at 21? And our head of radio, Sean Birch, thought that was pretty snappy, you know. The journal comes of age after 20, after 21 years. We have reached our majority. <laughs> well, you know what I thought of? You know, the journal at 21. At 21, you get certain liberties. Mm-hmm. You know, you're old enough to do. What are you old enough to do at 21 now? <laughs> well, Every, everything, own property. Have, have, have anybody on the show that I want, but I've been able to do that anyway. So, so um, part of the celebration of 21 is your longtime friend, uh, Professor Bernie Powers from the College of Charleston. We're going to have a special conversation with him because he's been on the show two or three times. He and I worked together on as founding members of the board of the International African American Museum in Charleston. And uh, whereas I retired officially from the university uh, in 2012, Bernie retired. Then he came back and uh, he said he didn't think he's ever really going to retire, which I think is great. Bernie doesn't retire. You'll still see him at the College of Charleston. <laughs> you know, I'm just curious because this is radio and people are, you know, we're looking back at this, at this, at this show People don't understand the dynamic of not being in radio before. Alfred, if you could, or even Walter, if you could, just paint the picture of what we're doing in here, what this table looks like, this this booth that Alfred is in. I mean, mm-hmm. the average person doesn't know how radio works. Well, okay. One of the reasons we talk about it being conversational at Walter Edgar's Journal is because, as Walter said, we try to insist whenever possible to have a guest in person. So that is often the case, and we usually are in a smaller room. You guys are in a very large room. We call it the music studio. There's a grand piano in there. And among other things, we have put in there uh, a, a, a string orchestra to record, for instance. That's so we can have space. You're vaccinated, he's vaccinated, but we want to be able to still spread you out, have good airflow, And so you're in the same room, but you can still see each other. And you are around a round table that is just about like you would find in many people's kitchen. That same kind of table is in a much more intimate room where we usually record. And I sit in the room next to it, and there is a window, double glass, to kind of cut down on the sound going through. And Walter and his guests sit there. And they talk. 
and I try to let them go uninterrupted, just talking around the kitchen table, talking around the kitchen table. And periodically, I will push a button and say, Walter, we need to do this. Walter, we need to do that. But other than that, I stay out of it. And so I'm sitting in here with all the equipment that's recording. You're in there with just microphones, a table, a couple of bottles of water, and you're having the conversation. So the more I can stay out of it, the better. Okay, but we can bring you in this time. That's what's interesting about this, That's because I want to know, mm-hmm. you've mentioned, Walter, a lot of different producers. Mm-hmm. Alfred is your producer now. And, and while well, I joked about taking the headphones off with a director or producer, really, the, the, the relationship between the person in your ear and yourself is really important. It's, it's, it's a team effort well, to make this happen. Can you talk about when you guys started working together, how that happened? Well, we can, and I might say, is you're wearing earphones, which guests do not, guests don't have earphones. I'm the only one who hears what Alfred's saying. Okay. The relationship between the producer and me is, it is important. We went through a lot of producers to begin with that had nothing to do necessarily with me. It had to do with whoever radio decided they were going to assign as the producer and started, like I mentioned, Catherine Reynolds, who actually was the wife of one of my graduate students. When she got her degree, she wanted more responsibility. So she moved on in in media. I don't know where she is now, but she's done very, very well. And the others, Tiffany Jackson, Ashley Bird, they were staff members. Yeah. You know, a lot of times radio in most stations and even in a network of some size, you, you have a fairly small staff compared to a lot of media operations. And a lot of people here, they wear several hats. They have to. They have to be able to, for instance, come in and record themselves. They don't have a recording engineer. They have to come and sit down in a studio and record themselves. They have to edit their own piece. They don't have an engineer to edit their pieces. And in most cases, they have to have some kind of on-air experience, If whether that's going out in the field and talking to somebody on tape and then editing it down, or whether it's somebody like me who came up doing live radio. So I had worn just about every hat from being on the air playing, remember LPs, uh, playing records on the air of classical music on up through fundraising. I was doing I was head of fundraising at ETV for a while. I was program director for a while. I'd been doing the website for a number of years. And of course, I had been recording things. I'd been recording jazz music. I'd been recording classical music out in the field, putting it on the air as a producer. So they said, okay, he can do this. I think I had to, I have to say this, Walter, I had to grow into it because quite frankly, when we began, I wasn't entirely sure of what I was supposed to be doing except pushing the record button and saying, okay, now. <laughs> and I, well, Alfred, that, that evolved. Yeah. Initially, I think you really did start off just doing the technical. It took, it took a while to figure out mm-hmm. how this was going to work. And then I would say after about 18 months, we got into a rhythm. You, I think it's one of the things that maybe you're getting at, Victoria, is you develop trust. Exactly. And I had to be given permission to engage with Dr. Walter Edgar. <laughs> okay. I'm the, I'm the radio guy who records and edits his show. No, you're the producer, Alfred, and Sherry Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. is a longtime friend and supporter and uh, retired a couple of years back as the director of South Carolina Public Radio, gave me permission. She said, I know you can do this. And she had produced, I mean, she had produced Marion McPartland's Piano Jazz. So not only does she have this this icon of 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 jazz music in America, but she also had icons of jazz music from around the world and across the decades, the time she produced. And she said, I had to learn this. I want you to do it too. You have the authority to engage with the host and also with the guests. And when she gave me that permission, I began to be able to say, okay, I think this is not a good idea. Here's why. I think this is a good idea. Here's why. And Walter and I had, had become friends, you know, but I think our, our friendship, our working relationship certainly deepened after that. And uh, Because it, actually with earlier producers, 
I was the one who made all the arrangements, most of the time made the arrangements mm-hmm. with the guests. With Alfred, we'll decide, okay, we're going to do Dottie Frank's new book. Well, he had the contact information, got in touch with Dottie's booking agent, and, and set it up. I put them on the schedule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that has to be free for you. As the host, because if you are spending so much time tracking this down, tracking down th- that down, filtering information, then you have to concentrate on the task at hand. Mm. You need that right-hand person that you can trust to help you filter that information and, and, and find the valuable material. Yeah. yeah. I would say over, over the course of 15 years, there have been times when we did not agree, but gosh— that, that's just life. I mean, he might say, this is really going to be a good topic. And I would say, I don't think so. There, there are times he would say, all right, uh, okay. But then he'll come back and he'll say, take another look. Uh, I take another look, maybe yes, maybe no. Or, or I have thought, I think this person will be a great guest. Alfred starts, you know, let's take, what, what's the hook? But, but for the sake of argument. You know, you know this this person did an award winning series. Right, right. So that's the hook we're going to use for the show, but we're going to we're going to go way beyond that. Well, let's pause for a moment, Walter. Do an ID again, and then we'll have about ten minutes to wrap up. Okay, Victoria, we need to pause a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with Victoria Hansen, and we're discussing with producer-director Alfred Turner, Walter Edgar's Journal at 21. I'm curious how you pick your subjects today. There is so much going on in the world. As you know, politically, racially, how do you decide today what the topic will be? Well, one of the interesting things about South Carolina is... There's always a lot. There are always a lot of news stories coming out of South Carolina. Some of them are not very nice. Some of them are incredible, uh, and probably the most famous in the last twenty years has been the tragedy at Mother Emanuel. And we went about discussing Mother Emanuel. Uh, well, when it, when when it first happened, oh, it first happened. We we because we do we do try to tie as much of what we do to either culture or history mm-hmm. of South Carolina, and so everybody was doing the latest news about the tragedy, about trying to find the fugitive, about what was happening afterwards with the families. And what we did was reached out to uh, Dr. Bobby Donaldson at the University of South Carolina and said, let's talk about this church. This church has a history. This church has a big, important history. And so what we did was, yes, we acknowledged the tragedy, but we also brought in what did this church mean to the African-American community in Charleston and also to the city in general? And we talked about how the reactions were going at the time. And, and we also had uh, Leo Twiggs. Leo Twiggs, that was later, yeah. An, an artist who, uh, a very famous South Carolina artist at, at South Carolina State. He does batik. And he does batik. And he had done a series of works of art on the Mother Emanuel tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd had Leo on the, on the show, I'd say several times, mm-hmm. but specifically to deal with this and the image that he was trying to capture to tell the story in a different way. And then there was uh, a young journalist in Charleston who had written a book. Jennifer Barry Haas. Yeah, Jennifer y- Barry Haas. Yes, about the police officers who were there, the EMTs were there. What impact walking into this horrible scene, how they were dealing with it, mm-hmm. they were part of the story, too. Uh, and, and then going forward with the families and the church. And I think that's what Jennifer really impressed me with. She did not let go of those families. She followed those families for years. Mm-hmm. And while the national media kind of scooped in and there was this nice little bow of forgiveness because— 
Some of the family members forgave. Not all of the family members forgave. National media packs up and leaves. And there is a lot still going, a lot of pain still with these families and this idea of forgiveness and the donations. And she really has not let go of that story. Well, and so there you, as Alfred said, there you take a news event, but we looked at the church itself in history, a wonderful artist's interpretation, and then some down-to-earth journalism. And I think, I think one of the things that we always try to do, whether we're talking about barbecue and the history of barbecue, or we're talking about somebody who has looked at the civil rights movement, as we recently did, looked at the civil rights movement in the United States in the 1950s and 60s, as how important were the courts and the court cases. Well, and see, you, you get a book, it's about court cases, but the backstory, as it was, was was so important. Yeah, um, is, is, I think that's the thing, Walter. When I try to talk to people about, you know, they say I want to be on the show. Well, you know, well, just remember what we want to do is tell a story or stories, whatever the central topic is or the hook that'll get people in to listen. There are stories there. And if we can get our guests to tell a story or a series of stories, that's what makes good radio. Yeah. We've, we've been doing this. Well, the show has been on the air for 21 years, but I, obviously it, is, it has changed over time. That reminded me of an incident when we still had a call-in show. Okay. It's, see, Alfred mentioned barbecue. That's always a topic you can talk about. <laughs> well, uh, you need to remember that we are a statewide network, so... Our stations upstate reach into North Carolina. Ours down on the, along the Savannah reach into Georgia. We have regular listeners in actually three states. Well, the topic was barbecue. And Tom and I were talking, and I can't remember who our guest was now, but he mentioned something about North Carolina barbecue, and I said, uh, North Carolina barbecue, it's, it's like a mouthful of cotton. The more you chew it, the more indigestible it gets. Well, the phone lines from Charlotte and Nashville just about melted <laughs> down. <laughs> People calling in that I had insulted North Carolina barbecue. But that that was that was maybe the one time that uh, the call in we got a wasn't just the two or three folks who called in regularly with their own axe to grind, but <laughs> the phone lines just went crazy. <laughs> and what were they saying? And how did you respond? It was more along. Was it more along the lines of how? Dast you? Yeah. They're yeah, just, you know, and singing the praises of, I know there's there's a uh, supposed to be a great restaurant up in Shelby and what have you. But then when some of them says, the Eastern North Carolina barbecue, there's nothing like it in South Carolina. It's pepper and vinegar. I said, where do you think they got it? It's PD barbecue just moved across the line. Um, uh, and, and at the time, I was a, a certified barbecue judge. So... I felt like I was on pretty good grounds of saying that. Okay, guys, we, we really need to wrap it up. This is your producer's warning. Alfred is giving you the wind-up sign. Yes, something I, I, I get in the ear and uh, through the earphones, and sometimes I am a, I'm not at a point where I'm quite ready to give up on a particular guess. Okay, so normally what happens is I say, all right, we need to wrap it up. Either I, he can see me wave my finger in a circle like I'm doing right now, or I say it in his ear. So what would you normally do then, Walter? Because you have a, you have a, a way you end this show. Well, I'd say, Victoria, I hate to tell you, but Alfred's giving me the wind-up sign. Anything you'd like to add for our listeners today before we sign off? I just want to say congratulations to 21 wonderful years, and what an honor to have me here today. I greatly appreciate it. Well, Victoria Hansen, our pleasure to have you with our guest today. And thank you. I think we got it, folks. Okay. Cool. Donkey shine. Thank you. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I know that I did. 
it really was fun to have the tables turned on me, so to speak, and have Alfred and Victoria talk about guests, how I felt about the show. And then we all three talked about what it takes to really put a journal on the air. It was an interesting trip down memory lane. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETB Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.